Tonight I'm going to do something a little different to start my message. I have a good friend here that a lot of you know, J.D. I'm going to have J.D. come up and share with you a really remarkable, very touching story. So J.D., come on up here. Give J.D. a big hand. Hi, guys. Um, just I wanted to share a little story with you. Um, it happened about two months ago. I have a neighbor that lived across the street. It was a woman um, and had two beautiful kids, uh, very young, 30 years old, and her husband. And uh, a few times I'd come home and I would see her outside. And one night God just put it on my heart to talk with her. And uh, so I started talking with her and she was crying and wasn't sure what was really going on. And But I ended up um, just sharing my faith with her, you know, and and I asked her if she had a relationship with God and with Christ. And she said that she went to church uh, because her husband went to church. She really didn't have a relationship, and she didn't understand what it meant. And uh, I just told her that she did have a purpose and a plan, and God had a plan for her life, and that uh, that if she sought after him, that he would reveal himself to her. And um, she just looked at me, and she's like, you know, where did you come from, and, and who are you? You know, And I said, I'm just a guy who loves God, you know. Um, and I just prayed with her and prayed over her, and we cried, and and hugged, and I saw her a few more times over the next few weeks. Um, and I guess about two weeks after I talked to her, that she accepted Christ as her Savior. And um, yeah. And actually, uh, yesterday I just went to her funeral. Um, she she died in her sleep. And uh, her husband and her father-in-law, who I'd not really met, um, came up to me and. And her, her father-in-law said, you know, J.D., was, I've never met you, but I, I thank God a thousand times for you today. And they'd been praying for two years for this woman to accept Christ. And, um, and when I went to her funeral, there was about as many people in the auditorium tonight as there was at her funeral. And she touched a lot of people's lives. Um, and then um, I know that uh, after the service that quite a few people, because of her death, and um, they accepted Christ as their Savior as well. And I believe that was her purpose. As to bring other, others closer to her. Guys, I, I can't encourage you enough. God wants to use you. He gives you opportunities every day to reach people. And it says, you know, he says he'll be with you. Do not be afraid. He'll be with you even till the end of time. And remember that our life is fleeing away every day. It's like the fog. It's here in the morning and it's gone. So please, you know, listen for that tiny voice when God tells you or brings a situation about that he wants you to share your faith with somebody else. Do not be afraid because he is with you. Thanks. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer before we get started tonight. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you tonight that this dear lady is with you right now. Lord, we never underestimate the power of our prayers. We can never underestimate the power of troubling ourselves for another person. We can never underestimate the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can never underestimate the power of caring. And Lord, tonight we just ask you that you would open our hearts, that you would guide our time this evening, that you would instruct us from your word, and that you'd teach us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Tonight is entitled, Caring the Essence of Our Gospel. Caring the Essence 
of our gospel. Essence means the fundamental key factor. It actually means a lot of different things, but it's kind of the core of the gospel. And, and I maybe you've never heard that put together before, carrying the essence of our gospel. We tend to think of John 3.16 when we think of the gospel, when we think of God. It says, God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would never perish, but have everlasting life. And of course, we tend to focus on gave. God gave. One person has stated that you're never more like God than when you give. But I want to start before that. Why did God give? What was it that motivated God to give? Simply put, according to verse, God loved the world. But what does that mean? It means God cared about the world. God was bothered by our condition. God was troubled by what he saw on the planet, what he knew was coming, what he saw sin was doing in the lives of people. In fact, the word care means to trouble yourself with someone else's problem. It's synonymous with mercy or compassion or a deep concern. You have an anxiety about that moves you to do something for another. And I'd like to read you a passage this evening from Luke. Luke chapter 10. And Jesus is speaking to a crowd. They've come. A man has questioned him. And Jesus tells him a story. Jesus replied with an illustration. A Jewish man was traveling on a trip from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes and money. They beat him and left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a Jewish priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road, passed him by. A temple assistant walked over and looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along, and when he saw the man, he felt deep pity and compassion. Kneeling beside him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with medicine and bandaged him. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two pieces of silver and told him to take care of the man. If his bill runs higher than that, he said, I'll pay the difference the next time I'm here. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus said. The man replied, the one who showed him mercy. Then Jesus said, yes, now go and do the same. I want to talk with you tonight about this story. I want to talk with you about the power of caring. We're in a political season right now, and if you're like me, I don't much like it. I don't like what I see on the television. I don't like what I see every time I get on AOL, more propaganda. Every time I get over to this site, more propaganda. I don't like what I see going on in the, world, the rest of the world, probably much like you. And sometimes, if you're like me, you ask yourself, what difference could I possibly make? Where is God in all of this garbage, in all of this junk, 
that's being shoved down our throat day in and day out and day in and day out. The lying, the suspicion, the slander, the misrepresentation of facts, the murder, the killing, the bloodlust, the injustice. Jesus Christ was born into the same world you and I live. I've always found great comfort in the fact that Jesus really never involved himself too much in politics. Rather, Jesus involved himself in the everyday lives of the people that God brought across his path. And I want to talk with you tonight about some of the lessons we see in the story of the Good Samaritan. We have this scenario of this man, Jewish man. He's going about his business. He's a businessman. He's going about, maybe it was the famous Roman road. Who knows? Maybe it was a road by Galilee. Maybe it was a road through Nazareth. And he was attacked. Probably he's attacked because what he was wearing and what he was riding on or what was behind him looked wealthy. Bandits attacked him. They took his clothes, probably took his clothes because they were rich man's clothes. They took his money and they beat him. Within an inch of his life, they left him half dead. So all of a sudden, a really religious man comes by sometime later, happened to be a priest. And he saw the man at a distance and was rather repulsive. He was bloody. His hair was all matted down. There were probably bugs all around him. Who knows, maybe there was even some vultures sitting by the side waiting for him to die under the Judean sun. It wasn't a very pretty sight. The priest probably thought to himself, you know, i got to get over and do another service. I don't have time for this right now in my day. It wasn't exactly in my palm pilot, and i got to stick with my schedule. And he just kept going. Pretty soon a temple assistant came by, another supposedly religious person, and a Jewish person. By the way, they were both Jewish, and this was a Jewish man. Well, he was moved just a little bit more because he came over to investigate. It's hard to even believe, but he came over, looked the guy over. Yeah, I think I'll keep going. And finally, the reason the scripture says it despised Samaritan is because the Samaritans and the Jews really hated each other. That is, as a nation. That doesn't mean every Jew hated every Samaritan. Every Samaritan hated every Jew. But there was great animosity, a little bit like the Palestinians and Israelis today. There was great hatred. Grievances being carried year after year after year after year. This despised Samaritan. He gets down, he's a businessman. And he gets down off his animal. And he walks over to the man and he looks over the situation. He, he goes back and this guy's prepared. It's very interesting. He's prepared to do something. You know, he just didn't sort of wave a magic wand and have a first aid kit with him or, you know, out of thin air. He had one with him. He had bandages and he had some ointment. And he came over to the guy and he begins right there to offer immediate care. Couldn't call an ambulance. You know, they didn't have a camel ambulance in those days. Just a Samaritan. And he, he picks the man up, gets him up on his animal, 
probably a donkey, and he leads that donkey to an inn. Chances are this Samaritan has stayed at that inn many times because he's a businessman. Maybe it was the Jerusalem Ramada Inn or the Jerusalem Best Western. Maybe it was the Jerusalem Motel 8. Who knows? And he says to the innkeeper, I need a room. I got a guy here I'm taking care of. And she spends the first whole night taking care of this guy. Now, now this Samaritan, he's a businessman. He's got other things to do. You know, maybe he's got a family to see. Maybe, maybe he needs to be in an important business appointment. But, but the point is, is that he allowed his day and his life to be interrupted because of his concern for another human being. <clears throat> so he gets the guy some food and he makes sure that he gets some rest. So the next day, he obviously, obviously has some other things he's got to do. He's got other responsibilities. And I, I'm going to get to that in just a moment because so often, so often we don't get involved because we think to ourselves, I don't have time. I mean, I really like to get involved, but that would mean I'd have to push back this thing and then this thing and then this thing. And you know what's really interesting today in America and in many church people, many Christians, we simply write checks. Now, I want to say very clearly that if you're supporting some marvelous organization, maybe you're supporting an orphan, maybe you're with Christian's Fund or you're with Samaritan's Purse and you're trying to help out, that is commendable, that's fantastic, that's wonderful. But there's something much more important here. And that is this. Oftentimes in our lives, if we're honest, we give because we care. We also give because it's easy to salve our conscience and know that in giving, some other professional is out there taking care of the vagabonds in the world or the needy in the world or my neighbor or those people way over there and I don't have to get involved. I don't have to really do anything. And so Christians, we've become really, really good at starting ministries where a few professionals spend all their time trying to take care of the needs in the world, can't possibly be done. And what Jesus is trying to do is turn us all into Jesuses on the planet. He's trying to turn us all into an army of men and women who care about the people around us. I hear so many people today, you know, they're like, we got to solve AIDS in Africa. Listen to me. I can't solve AIDS in Africa. Neither can you. You can help. There are organizations you can support. But you know what you can do? You can help your neighbor who's going through a divorce right now and needs some help. You can help the person on your job who's maybe struggling with life and you become aware of it and you could take them to lunch and be a listening ear. Or you could see the person across the street, maybe the single mom or the person who's going through something and you could offer a helping hand. Or you could be like J.D. who notices after a long day at work and J.D.'s tired and I happen to know J.D. doesn't have the greatest health in the world. And you could see there's a person looks kind of sad. They don't look down and out. They're just an ordinary 
person on the road of life. And they're burdened. Something's wrong. And J.D. took the time to trouble himself. That's what it means to care. You trouble yourself. It's trouble. It's going out of your way. Listen, the bottom line reason so many people today don't want children or only want one is because they don't want to trouble themselves. Children are troubling. I mean that in a gentle way. I mean that you are going to, you have a baby, and you are going to find out what self-sacrifice is really like. You're going to find out, Mom, some of you are finding this out right now. Gee whiz, I can't just run off with my girlfriends all the time now. It's hard to keep up on them all, because that baby, that little life, demands all your time, all your attention, all your energy, and you're laying down in bed at night shot. That's what... That's why so few are being born, because everybody wants to avoid being troubled. And we see that with the human species. We see that as we go through our day. I'll never forget many years ago. You know, I I, I want you to know something. It is not that difficult. You do not need to be a great communicator, a great speaker. You know, when J.D. was sharing this story with me the other day on the phone, such a dear, uh, J.D., I love you. You know I love you. He says to me, you know, Mark, I just, here's a loser like me, and God just used me. And I'm like, J.D., first of all, you're not a loser. You get the Holy Spirit of God, and you're not a loser. But I understood what he meant. Sometimes we look at outward appearances, don't we? We look at a person and go, well, you know, I wonder what they might amount to. You know, you may look at J.D. and think, well, you know, he's not going to change the world, but he changed somebody's world. I'm not going to change the world. You're not going to change the world. But you can change somebody's world. You see, if you take the time to trouble yourself. Many years ago, my my wife and I and two small children, we were expecting our third. We lived in this little trailer court. It was, you know, there's no way to get around it. It was a ghetto trailer court. It was really a rough trailer court. I'm talking over the edge of the parking lot was junk. You know, people dump their junk. I'm talking at least 20 of the traders had boards for windows. I'm talking the cops were regularly up, but it was all we could afford. And so we moved into that little trailer court, paying $70 a month lot rent for a trailer a guy gave me that I eventually sold for $585. This is a real quality trailer here. And so, I got pictures of it sometime, though. But I, I tell you what, yesterday, two days ago, I went driving through a trailer court. Down behind Lebanon Hills, between the zoo off Galaxy Drive, there's this trailer court. And I just drove through it, and so many memories flashed to my mind. I, you know, I thought, Lord, I think someday I'm going to move back to the trailer court. <laughs> I'm just a trailer court kind of guy. You don't know that about me, but I really am. I'm just an ordinary guy. And I remember my wife and I, we moved into this trailer court. And um, my wife's here tonight, by the way. And, 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 you know, usually she's home with my daughter. But tonight my daughter and my wife are here. And I just, God just gave me, yes, thank you very much. I, and I, God just gave me an extraordinary wife. And I, and I remember, you know, this trailer court, none of the, this trailer we moved in, and none of the windows would open. Because the cranks were all broken you could, and they didn't make them anymore. So it'd get about 105 degrees there in the summer, and 
It was about um, 580 square feet for five of us, or four of us expecting our fifth. Or the fifth person in the family is what I'm saying. Not our fifth child. And so I remember Kathy and I, we just determined, Lord, we want to be a light to this trailer court. We want to be... We, we want to develop a reputation in this trailer court that we care. So I remember the first thing we did, we moved up to this trailer court, and it's filthy. I mean, it's filthy. It's filthy. And the guy who owned it, he let all the weeds grow in the lot and everything, and so none of it was taken care of. And at the time, I was working about 80 hours a week just to survive. So a friend of mine, he sold me this lawnmower for $25. So the first thing that... We did. We did this together. So we went and bought all these flowers. A bunch of flowers. There were no flowers in the whole place. It was a depressing place. And we dug up all the stuff in front of our trailer. And I found all these rocks in a farmer's field. And I took them. He had a big pile of them. I didn't think he'd miss a few. <coughs> I didn't ask because I couldn't find which house it was. It was just, you know, he dug them out of the field. And they were laying there. So I grabbed them. And I drove my car home. My little 73 AMC Hornet. And I'm driving home like this. Yeah, I had one of those things. And we planted all these little impatient flowers because we wanted to draw attention. This is a house where life is. In this place of death, this is a house where life is. And then my wife, she followed me around in the parking lot. And you know how in awful parking lots there's dirt that gets from the rain and the mud and then the weeds grow up? So we took a shovel and we dug it all out. And then we mowed the lot. And then we went out and we got a swing set from a garage sale and we brought it for the little kids in the area. Our reputation started to grow. Started to grow. I'll never forget there was this little neighbor girl. Her parents, well her father was uh, mentally handicapped severely. And the mother was um, very needy. Very needy. They lived about three trailers down. <clears throat> this little girl would be out on a 30-degree day in her little swimming suit. No one really cared, to be honest. My wife cared. And Kathy would invite her in and give her some little clothes to wear on top of her swimming suit and play, and Kathy would make her cookies and send them home. She'd go down and visit the mom. And this is the kind of trailer court I'm talking, you know, the door's just wide open all the time, and there's just trash all over the living room. I'll never forget, I came home one day after little Rachel had been over. All my kids had lice. And so we had to de-louse the trailer. Well, I didn't keep my wife from having her over again. I'll never forget the lady who lived just a few trailers behind us. and She had like four or five children. Her husband was a trucker. He was very rarely home. And I, you got the impression he didn't really care. And their fifth or sixth baby was a Down syndrome baby. Tremendous strain. Their trader was a re- My wife would take diapers over. She would take things over to her, visit with her, and extend herself. All around us were these opportunities just in our everyday life to extend ourselves to other people. Every day. We didn't have to go across the globe. We didn't have to be moved by something we saw on television. We could simply look around our neighborhood or look at the place that you work or look in the classroom and you'll see people who've just broken up with a boyfriend or girlfriend and they don't know what they're going to do. It's amazing how depression is skyrocketing in this nation. 
People are, many people are simply emotionally unstable. They don't have the strength to face what life is throwing at them. And you and I are little Jesuses. Now, I don't mean that in the literal sense. We are God's sons and daughters. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying we are the Messiah. There's only one Messiah, only one Jesus Christ. He is the living stone, but we are also living stones. He's the cornerstone, but we're also living stones. And we're walking around down here, and God wants to work through us. Will we trouble ourselves? You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be super smart. All you need to know is, I could take the time to care. I could, you know, I was on the phone with my mother the other day. I grew up with an extraordinary mother. My mother had a difficult life. She's had a very difficult life. My mother just had a, two stints. I think that's what they're called, shunts, stints. Not a shunt. Something to strengthen a vein. It had to be a balloon near her kidney that was blocked. Her blood pressure was like 250 the last two weeks. And so they got her in. They found that she had a blockage near her kidney. So they went in. This was just the other day. She went home for the weekend. She was having a couple rough days. But she, she looked out the window and noticed that the neighbors, uh, you know, she knows them a little bit, uh, were getting out of the car and they were crying. And then she heard either on the news or in the little Webster City Times, because they report everything there, uh, that their son had died. Their son was about my age. He's an alcoholic. So, so my mother's telling the story. She said, yeah, I just, I just made a pie for him, Mark, and I'm going to be taking it over. Here's my mom. You know, she's 70-something. She just had surgery, major surgery, and my mom is troubling herself. That's the mother I grew up with all my life. Whether it was the neighbor, Mr. Middleton, who had no family. His wife died of cancer. And I remember my mom would always, he, he was over at Thanksgiving. Hardly knew the guy. He's kind of a funny guy, kind of an odd guy. I was always a little uncomfortable. My mom had to, he's got to come over for Thanksgiving, kids. He didn't have anywhere to go. My mom would take over special pies. My mom makes incredible pie. She touched his life and she said, I'll never forget when she called me on the phone. She said, you know, Mark, uh, today Mr. Middleton died. And I was there holding his hand. And you know, I've been praying, Mark, for six months that when the Lord took him home, because my mother led him to Christ, that I'd be able to be there holding his hand when he died. My mother's no great evangelist. She's no great speaker. She just troubles herself. My wife, I see this in my wife. She'll hear somebody's a little sick. She'll go, oh, I'm going to make some soup. She's got burdens of her own, but she troubles herself for other people. She troubles herself. For other people. And God, imagine, imagine what could happen if the three or 300 of us here in this room tonight, from this point on, next week and the week after, just began throughout our daily life. You notice the Samaritan, he didn't quit his business and start a new ministry. I'm not saying that it's wrong to start a ministry. I'm saying that that's not the point of what Jesus was getting at. What he was trying to do was turn all of us ordinary people into men and women who love like God and who trouble ourselves throughout our daily life with the needs of other people. A few years ago, my neighbor lady from Vietnam, one morning, my, 
you know, that she's knocking on my door at like 5 a.m. And that's pretty early for me. I usually get up a little later than that. But it was really cold out, and I heard this pounding on the door, and I didn't really want to go to the door. But I did, and, and she was holding jumper cables and mumbling something, and so I knew I'm going to need to do something. So I went down, and I quick brushed my teeth and splashed water in my face and stuck on my coat and my, my boots and clothes, and I, you know, went over and... Well, she had one of those Toyotas that wouldn't go into neutral so you could back it out to even jump it. You have to start it to even move it. Stuck in her garage, and of course the battery's right up against the wall. So I knew, of course, what this meant. This meant that I needed to trouble myself and offer her a ride 25 miles away to work on a cold, brutal winter day with a snowstorm through rush hour traffic. I mean, it seemed like a big deal. You know, in, in the greater scheme of things, it's not a big deal. But at the moment, when it hits you, you know, when it's just all it hits you, and you know what the Lord wants you to do, it's like, it's a big deal. I'm tired, Lord. i got other things going on in my day. And you know that I hate rush hour. <laughs> I plan my whole life so I do not have to be caught in the insanity of this stupid town. And it's true, I do. So Lord knew that. Maybe the Samaritan, for example, didn't like blood like me. Did you ever think of that? It's like, I don't really want to mess with his wounds. I'm not good at this. And I'm like... So I remember, I just knew, you know, you got this the little devil, he's over here on this shoulder, Lord's over on this shoulder. And I just said, Toi, would you like a ride to work this morning? And she looks at me, and in her broken English, she's, you know, you want to give me a ride? And I said, I'll give you a ride this morning. So I drop her off at work, and she's just profusely bowing and thankful, and she can't believe it. And so I'm driving home back through rush hour the other way. And I'm like, you know, the devil's over here on the shoulder, and, I'm, and the Lord's over here, and I'm like, yeah, Lord. Yeah, I did, I did my part. No, no, Mark, there's more you can do. Oh, come on, Lord, not that. I already knew what the Lord was going to say. You know, Mark, you know how to put a battery in a car. You know that she's just a single mom, and she's going to call the dealer, and they're going to send a tow truck out here, and they're going to charge her 100 bucks for the tow, and then they'll take it in and put one of those Toyota batteries in that are about 150 and you know because you were in the business that you can go to Walmart for 47.95, get a 1,000 cold cranking up battery, and you can have that thing in 10 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, but Lord, that means more traffic. It's, uh, oh, jeez. <laughs> yes, Lord, you're right. You're right. I could do that. So I remember I went to I went to Walmart, one of my favorite stores. I got this coat at Walmart. Can't believe that, can you? Don't believe it. I didn't. You can't get a coat this cool at Walmart. See So anyway, I get this battery, and now now I'm getting kind of excited. I really am. My wife, she's a gift giver. That's one of her gifts. She just loves to spend my money and give. It's, it's an amazing thing. And I'm going, how much did you spend? Let me see the receipt. And she's going, oh, Lord, Mark, the Lord just prompted me to spend. And I'm like, oh, man, I'm telling you. So I, I'm learning from her. So I'm, 
I'm, I'm, I'm, going through the, I'm going through the checkout, and all of a sudden I'm excited. I'm like, you know what? Lord says, what, Mark? I said, I'm going to give her the battery. I'm just, I mean, what's 47 bucks to me, Lord? It's like, she's a single mom. My mom was a single mom. My sister's a single mom. What's 50 bucks? It's, it's really nothing. But it makes a world of difference to her. So I got home, and I couldn't wait, and I got that battery in, and it's kind of cool, you know, I got that battery in, just like I figured, and just like I pictured in my mind, and that car started right up. So I told her daughter, who happened to still be home, I said, listen, you call your mom, you tell her, cancel that tow truck. Tell those guys they don't need to come out here. It's already done. And you tell her it's free. Her mother came to the door that night. She's got money in her hand and tears in her eyes. She said, Mark, you you no need to do this. <laughs> and I said, Twa, I said, no, it's done. I said, Twa, we really care about you, Kathy and I, and your family. And I know how hard you work. My mother was a single mother. And you know, God just prompted her. We want to give you that. And she just tears me down her face. She writes a letter later to my wife, because my wife's done a number of things for her. She said, you, you are angels. Angels come down from heaven. Live next door to toi. <laughs> I just wanted you all to know that someone's finally recognized that fact. That and it's been confirmed by about 22 other people. So, <laughs> Men and women, you have an extraordinary amount of power to influence another person. The Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. How can you and I withhold the gospel message? You see, one of the, one of the primary motivating reasons for gift-giving or for extending ourselves is not just the gift itself. Yes, we want to bless others with an act of kindness, with service, with care, with a listening ear, but the primary goal is that through that giving, we either at that moment might be able, as J.D. did, to share the most important thing with them. Now listen, let me put it really bluntly. A well-fed man who dies and goes to hell because you gave him bread will wish to God he could trade his bread and all the food you gave him for the gospel that you knew but never shared. And at the same time, when a person's hungry or they're needy or they're sad or they're going through a difficult time in their life, what they need initially is your concern, your help, whatever that might be. And through that help, it begins to soften the heart. As Jesus said, it is, it, God said, it is his kindness that leads us to repentance. The goal is that kindness would lead us somewhere. And my goal is that through that kindness, like the Pied Piper, I might lead them to the Savior. Not to me. Oh, Mark, you're so wonderful. Listen, I'm not wonderful. I'm pathetic. If it wasn't for Jesus Christ, you would not even want to know me. Ask my wife. She lives with me. And there's times that that old Mark comes out, and I can just see it in her face like, why did I marry this guy? I admit that. I've admitted that to you many times. It's, as Paul said, whatever good that's in me, it's not me. It's the grace of Christ in my life. I'd like to give you a little assignment this week. 
nothing all that big. I'd like you to pray every day the next seven days and open your eyes and look for an opportunity to be a good Samaritan. Look for an opportunity to make a difference with a coworker, classmate, a relative, someone that you know, someone in your neighborhood. Just open your eyes and ask God to lead you and see if by next week you couldn't have found something, someone that you could have practically done something for in Christ's name. And ask God that you might be able to, through those opportunities, to share the good news of Christ. You know, something that my wife has done, in fact, this summer, when she and Jessica were out in, in Arizona for 115 days, she's very sick, she's still very sick, and they're going through all these things. My wife is buying the Purpose Driven Life book like crazy, 15, 20 of them, and they would go in, and my wife, while Jessica's sitting in this big room getting her IVs and in pain, my wife would just go around and meet all the older people sitting in their Lazy Boy recliners getting their IVs. Some are dying of cancer, others. And my wife would just listen to their stories. My wife would just listen. Jessica would listen. She would go and try to smile. Now, to this day, they're all asking the doctor out there, how's Jessica? How's Jessica? We want to know about Jessica. How's Kathy? We miss them. The place isn't the same because they brought a light there. The nurse told them, we have never had anyone here this clinic like you two. And remember one particular story, and I'll end with this. There's this woman, very wealthy woman, owns a ranch in Massachusetts. She's got prize equestrian horses. She loves them. She's there in this clinic. She's about my wife and I's age, maybe just a little younger. Very, very sick. So Jessica and her exchanging stories. and She does not know the Lord. And she wasn't getting better. And um, one day Kathy had one of those promptings. And so uh, Jessica has this little CD of a song that she did with another friend. And, and this poem. And so they gave it to this woman. She was just getting ready to leave, and they gave it to her, and they gave her something else. And So the woman had just finished her IV. They gave her the gift, and she went out into her Lexus, got this really fancy Lexus. She evidently goes to her apartment and turns right around. She doesn't even go in. She comes back. She walks into the clinic. There's other people sitting there with tears streaming down her eyes. She goes, this is the most extraordinary song I've ever heard. You've got to get better. God has plans for you. That poem, I've never read anything like it. Thank you for touching my life. All it takes is troubling ourselves for somebody else. It's not hard. It's not super complicated. It's just we, we see that our life is about others. And in our day, we just prepare ourselves with a little extra money in our pocket. I've been at gas station pumps where I've walked in behind somebody and the person goes, Oh, gee, I'm $5 short. Reach in my pocket, I always carry my checkster card, and I've gone, put it on mine. And they turn around, they're like, oh, what? Just like five bucks. Just put it on mine with my gas. And people's jaw, they just, they, they do just what that woman did to JD. Where did you come from? What planet did you arrive from? Well, you know, I'm actually a citizen of heaven. I am from a strange place. And so are you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.
We just thank you tonight that you troubled yourself for us. Lord, I was a despicable mess when you found me. Man, I was in the ditch. And I was beat up. And I was bloody. And I got myself there. It wasn't anybody else did it to me. Like this man in the Bible, I did it to myself. And you took the time to bandage my wounds, to care about my life. It saddens me, Lord, as I, I read a lot the arguments that go on about theology, the arguments that go on about politics, when all of that energy could be put in making a real difference in the person next to us, whether they know Jesus Christ or they don't know Jesus Christ. Because this truth applies not only to those who do not know you, but to our own brothers and sisters who are in need, who are hurting, who are going through a difficult time. Will we trouble ourselves for others? Like we trouble ourselves for ourselves. We go to great pains to take care of our hunger. We go to great pains to take care of our comfort. We go to great pains to take care of our needs. All you're asking is that we do that for others. Help us, I pray, to be like Jesus Christ, to bring you glory through our lives and to just take a little extra time here or there in our day to make an eternal difference. In Jesus' name, amen.